Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Make Your Own Damn Podcast. I am Lucas Mangum, and with me today, as always, is Jeff Burke. Jeff, what are we talking about today? Oh, man. Today, we are taking on 1985's Igor and the Lunatics, directed by W.J. Oh, oh, dear. Uh, Pallorini? Pallorini? Let me, let me bail you out here. Let me Pallorini. see. <laughs> It's an uh, Italian name, I, I think. I think I could be wrong uh, as well. It's a uh, oh jeez, uh, Perolini. Perolini. Yeah. Oh, yes, everyone that listens to the show is by now hopefully used to me butchering names because I can't speak. <laughs> shit. So uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, Igor and the Lunatics. Um, and I feel like it's called that because Paul and the Lunatics doesn't have as interesting of a ring to it. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, we, we mentioned at the end of the last episode that this was one of those trauma movies that both you and I always just saw around. But yeah. um, we didn't know anything about it, and we had never seen it. And I don't know where I was getting it in my head, but I somehow was expecting some sort of, like, Frankenstein-ish thing. Because Igor, I kept Igor, thinking... yeah. Igor from the uh, fr- from the Frankenstein movies, and mm-hmm. yeah, this was essentially a Charles Manson hippie cult movie, which I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yes, so, and the, the cult leader is named Paul. His, the cult leader is named Paul. Igor is, like in Frankenstein, a sidekick, but it is, it is mentioned that he is the most sadistic one. And he kind of ratchet things up, which we might get to a little bit later. In some yeah. ways, does have some vague uh, uh, reflections of the Charles Manson real life case. That um, uh, I'm gonna say uh, it was text by um, T E X. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the guy's last name. I'm gonna look it up right now. Was oh, one of Manson's right hand man men, and there's some um, uh, conjecture that uh, this. Uh, Tex fella, uh, Tex Watson, that's his name, Tex Watson, may have actually been the one that pushed the cult towards its hardcore violence in real life, uh, which uh, there is some vague reflections of that in here. So, but um, I watched also, I saw also the trailer before I watched the movie and watching mm-hmm. the trailer is like, huh, I, I really shouldn't have been expecting anything because I know nothing about this movie. But this is not. This looks nothing at all that I'd associate with a title like Igor and the Lunatics. So for me, um, I I alluded to it in last week's episode, but I I actually had always assumed it was a blood sucking freaks type movie, like just like oh like a torture. Yeah, like a torture, torture. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, uh, um, shall I read the description here on Troma.com? Troma, what does Troma have to say for itself here? Okay. 16 years ago, random bloodshed ran rampant, and a terrible tidal wave of brutal slaughter flooded Tromaville. The townspeople finally caught up with Igor and his evil bloodthirsty gang and locked them away to rot in prison. Peace and tranquility filled the small village once again, but now they're on probation. They're more deranged, demented, and deadly than before. Igor and the lunatics are back to seek revenge upon the town that sent them away and finished what they started 16 years ago. If you scare easily, be warned. 
prepare yourself for the unrelenting evil and terror of this crazed religious sex cult out for revenge. Get ready for a rampage of brutal raping, torturing, and murdering, climaxing in one of the most frightening and violent bloodbaths ever captured on film. It's Igor and the Lunatics. Man. They're promising a lot. In that they are. They are. You know, that remind. you know what that, that whole thing reminded me of was the old, like, uh, have you ever seen uh, Mad Ron's Previews from Hell? Uh, I don't know if I have that. What it's, is that? It's just a collection of, like, old Grindhouse oh, trailers. Yeah, like, I've, I've seen videos. those compilations before. And, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, something weird video put out, like, a really great DVD set of them, like, back yeah. in the early 2000s, like that. They had a really great one. But, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, that, that whole write-up sounds like the, like, what you would hear one of the voiceover guys say in in one of those trailers. Oh, it it totally does. Yeah, you're right. It totally does. <laughs> I do like the line though. If you scare easily, be warned. Because I'm like, yeah. If you like, only if you scare easily, be warned. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I mean very easily. <laughs> like that's actually a little bit of a backhanded uh, uh, compliment there, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Um. But <laughs> yeah. So this movie. Um already kind of mentioned it's kind of a fictionalized retelling of the charles manson murders but with the spin that the manson cult i were they released on probation or i thought they broke out or in the movie i think it was a probation thing oh was it probation Um, okay yeah um, I, I would not fault you for for having trouble following i uh, did have some trouble in this movie um but they get out of pre- but it's it's the Manson cult story, but with the spin of after they commit the first batch of murders and go to prison, they get out of prison and then they commit more more murders. Yeah, because uh, even though it's not mentioned in the movie, it's mentioned in that write up. Uh, this is Tromaville, apparently. And uh, oh, okay, I was happy. I was happy because like I don't remember a single mention of Tromaville. And considering this movie is from 1985, and as we've already kind of. Uh, explored on this sh- show the whole idea of having like a cemented Tromaville like mythos um, yeah mythos universe was like hadn't really been firmly um, cemented in the 90s yeah I'm sorry in the 80s in the mid 80s for Troma yeah so I think that that got that got added in Retro the home home video release, perhaps. Yes. Although that said, um, uh, and you know, I got this and I got this information from uh, Zach Bynes uh, over at uh, Talking Trauma. So shout out Zach. Shout um, out tr- Talking Trauma. Yeah. So they did not uh, Lloyd and Michael Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hurst. Uh, they didn't um, just distribute this movie. They did actually produce this movie. Like they had a had a pretty big hand in the oh, really? production of this film. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and that's. I mean, <laughs> I don't have much more beyond that. Um, uh, you know, as far as um, as as far as that little bullet point goes, but. Um, but I guess that might be why, like, they'd be like, oh, we could totally call it Tromaville, like, when we, you know, make the home video release, because... 
Yeah, that, that was probably exactly uh, it. I didn't realize that they had like something directly to do with the uh, production of this movie, which, to be honest, is a little bit disappointing to hear because uh, it really doesn't have any of the craziness that Troma was already getting into and yeah. of like even with other movies they were dis- distributing it didn't really have the craziness levels of other stuff like it's just a surprisingly like muted movie for its subject matter yeah um it does ramp up a little bit around the halfway point i will say um i i, I did send you a text um about you know, like what I was thinking with this film, but I, I admit that I sent that to you um, early in the film. Uh, oh, I was like, what, what text did you send me? Yeah, uh, I, was, I wasn't loving it. I was like, I think we might have another surf Nazis on our hands. Oh, oh yeah. Well, apparently, like the, apparently the soundtrack is well-loved, which I guess we'll, we will get to the soundtrack at some point. This movie does have a cult following for its soundtrack is one of the, few things I could dig up about it. I have no idea why. Um, <laughs> I think the soundtrack for this is particularly impressive, but we'll get to that in a, in a bit. Um, but I do want to state of like, so anyone that listens to the show knows I attempt to do like a deep dive, like history, try to research what I can about these movies. And like, I found like fucking nothing on this movie. Yeah. Like, this movie is, like, not documented at all. I mean, like, like one of, sometimes for our shows, I'll sometimes uh, just look up uh, random podcast episodes of, like, other people's random shows to just see what they're saying about the movie we're going to talk about and just see what different people think about it. Congratulations, Lucas. You and I are going to have the first uh, podcast that at least turns up on Spotify covering evil <laughs> We've got the market fucking cornered. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> there's no movie podcast, even like no other trash movie podcast that has an episode about this movie. How yeah. weird is that? Well, um, after seeing the movie, I, I, I can't say it's that weird. <laughs> Um, I guess we could just like cut to the chase. It's not a particularly memorable, good, or interesting movie. No, I I wanted to like it a lot. So did I. So did I. I, like, was, I like hippie cult movies. I like, do too. Yeah. Uh, I drink your blood is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I was kind of hoping for something similar here. I was hoping for something just really over the top. Um. And, like, mean-spirited, but also kind of campy. And, I don't know. It just kind of, it didn't It didn't excite me the way I was hoping it would. Like, when people complain about <coughs> shot-on-video, straight-to-video, uh, shitty, low-budget movies of the 80s, really, they're thinking of Igor and the Lunatics. Like, it's poorly shot, it's low-quality, there's a lot of unnecessary scenes or moments and scenes of people like walking around. Well, or... well, well, let's talk about the most the most uh, egregious offend, offender um, is the fact that we get the same scene twice. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Like. 
with nothing new added the second time around. Like, I mean, it's it's the same scene. Just we're gonna, we're talking about the buzzsaw scene, right? We are. We are. Yes. Yes. So um, the movie opens with members of his cult uh, sexually assaulting a woman, strapping her down, and then is gonna. Uh, uh, use a buzzsaw to cut her in half longwise. And it starts, and right when the buzzsaw is about to hit her, the scene changes, and I guess it goes into, like, a little flashback, right? Yeah, well, it start, Well, you get this older guy kind of writing in his diary and giving the diary to his wife and then le- leaving the house to do something. Yeah, and then the diary is what we find it's out. It's the flashback. It's the like, flashback which is the backstory of this cult. And then after about, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour of that, the backstory catches up to the first scene. And then we get the full, um, we get it. I mean, it's literally the exact same scene. Like they did, as Lucas said, they put the same scene in the movie twice, except then the second time we actually see the uh, buzzsaw hitter. And we actually get a little bit of a gore shot of her being cut in half long ways. And, you know, it's nothing spectacular, but there's still a decent special effects for this movie's budget. I give her yeah. props for that. But it's also, in my opinion, the only memorable, like, gore violence uh, moment. Uh, of I would movie. I would argue the uh, the machete to the midriff uh, towards the end there is, oh. is pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if that was cool or awful. Uh, I can't decide if that was good or bad. That's fair. Like, that's fair. Like, the stabbings in this movie had a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, that 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 though that two scenes being shot twice, like that is to me when that kind of like happens and they did like the flashback. That was immediately one of the things that stuff in my head of like, uh oh, because yeah. I have I I have this like big personal theory that when some movie starts off with like an interesting crazy scene and then does a flashback to show you how it got there, that means that the movie was really boring for the first third or first half and the filmmaker is desperate to figure out a way that we don't lose everyone in the beginning because the movie's fucking boring. Okay, we'll show a scene from later in the movie when things get good and then we'll say like, you know, 24 hours earlier or a thing yeah. like that. It's always a major red flag to me when the movie opens on a scene and then immediately does a flashback because I'm like, oh, they thought this movie was boring. Yeah, um, I get that being a red flag, and a lot of the times, like, yeah, that's true. It's certainly true in this movie. Um, I don't think it's always true, um, but I... think I, it's I, true more than it's not. Yeah, I'm actually I was, was going to say, I'm think, also struggling to come up with, like, examples of when it wasn't true, you know? I can think of some movies I don't like, I, I thought were extremely over, like, one of the more recent movies, um, um, don't breathe uh did this and i know a lot of people love don't breathe i'm sorry the movie's really fucking shitty <laughs> i like don't breathe okay this is why i always like to say to people like this is when i watched this movie i saw it in the theaters and when this happened i was like i can't deal with this movie so do you remember on the um when they get stuck in the second floor bedroom in the corner of the house yeah. and the one character gets knocked out of the window and it falls through like the greenhouse and that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember why they couldn't get out of the windows before he got knocked out? No. Because uh, there's metal bars on the other side. Oh, jeez. The metal bars disappear for the character to get knocked out of the window. 
That is pretty rough. I noticed it in the theaters, and I was like, oh, this movie fucking sucks. Any of you being like, wait, no, go back and watch the fucking movie. That is literally what happens. The movie has straight-up continuity holes in it. And also, the dog kept attacking him. I couldn't help but notice that the dog is wagging its tail and wiggling in every scene. (laughs) It's the happiest attack dog ever. So... Uh, that movie is directed by Fede Alvarez, and I will say, um, you know what doesn't have any continuity errors is the Evil Dead remake, which he directed, and that it's movie, fucking phenomenal. Oh, that movie fucking kicks ass. That, yeah. That's why I went to go see Don't Breathe, is because I fucking love the Evil Dead remake. That movie's fucking awesome. You know, and... a few years ago, uh, we talked about that movie, and you and you said that uh, that you thought it was the, the goriest mass release yes. movie yes ever do you, do you still feel that way do you think do you think that's changed or do you think i oh man i because this was almost 10 years ago now this was uh 2013 when that movie came out wow so. you're right it's been almost 10 years and i'm kind of unless i'm missing something obvious i'm still inclined to say that it's the goriest mass release movie or like the most violent mass release movie i've seen now for anyone wondering what we exactly mean by this this is a actually a little bit of a game that myself and horror author um uh ryan harding have been playing for years is we've been trying to figure out what is the goriest most violent mass release movie uh ever released and by mass release we mean uh like three thousand theaters or more which is uh, um i believe the definition for mass release okay um or maybe it's 2000 theaters or more whatever whatever there is actually like a criteria for it it's a four four figures yes and when we say um most violent and goriest we mean that you actually see the acts of violence and you Mm -hmm. see the resulting damage so um even though we're talking about the Evil Dead remake, when Ryan and I are considering that movie, we don't count the blood raining from the sky. And just like in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, the blood from the elevator would not count for our criteria. Because you don't, like, let's assume it is blood and not just some magical things, which it is in that movie. You don't see the blood coming out of the effects of violence and the last two movies that we really came to the conclusion on that were the most violent mass release films were the evil dead remake and um rambo the like the fourth movie oh yeah yeah, yeah. the one that's just called rambo yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, which it is it is um i had never seen it until ryan harding urged me to and it took him like two years to get me to finally watch it and when i did i actually loved it and it's really fun but holy shit is that movie violent gory and mean-spirited holy fuck and i loved it i loved it but um you know i'm i can't really think of anything since then to rival those two and i mean the fact of the matter is in this past decade um gore and violence in mass release movies is not popular like people don't want it and it's how even in the underground you still are you're only getting like one or two notable gore movies a year i i argue and uh yeah like you don't you don't get much in the way of 
like gore and direct on screen violence. I, I feel I feel you really have to search for it. Man, I, I can't think of anything unless I'm just like dramatically overlooking uh something. Is, is there anything you can think of? Not really, man. Um no, definitely not mass release. Um because that's our specific criteria, and that's the yeah. thing that like stumps everybody. Because I can name movies gorier than the Evil Dead remake and um, the the Rambo movie that came out, but they didn't get mass releases. They weren't. Yeah. They they weren't um, big Hollywood productions. I thought I thought that you know um, I thought the Suicide Squad was I'm, pretty. Violent. Actually, I was about to say that it's like the Suicide Squad might be the only one uh, up there. Yeah. That that yeah. might. That might be the only one to uh, compete is the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Which is weird. I wouldn't have expected to come from a superhero movie. Like, no. Next. Of course, we are talking about a superhero movie made by uh, Troma's own James Gunn. <laughs> yes. See, we all tied it all back around the Choma there in the end. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, so, yeah, uh, so uh, this uh, movie, uh, Igor and the Lunatics. <laughs> Yeah, I will say it does, um, it did for me, uh, you know, once, uh, I guess it's after they get out of jail and they just immediately just start killing random people. Yeah. Like, it it at least became a little more entertaining for me to watch. Um, I mean, it it picks up then, but I feel it falls into a problem of the movie feels really monotonous and it feels like it drags and it's 82 minutes long well yeah i mean the problem is all the well not all but a lot of the death scenes are the same and um i don't know i don't really know who anybody is like (laughs) oh my god it's it's very difficult to keep track in this movie of like who's who and how they relate to each other and also, I think that there were some serious uh, script issues because I'm very convinced of this. That framework of having the diary and reading the letter is inconsistently yeah. used throughout the movie. And it's essentially just used for exposition dumps for a narrator to come in and tell the audience, okay, this is what's going on because we didn't film the scenes or we didn't film them in a clear enough way for anyone to be able to figure out what's going on in this movie. Right. So we're just going to have a narrator tell you now, the story? Uh, now, some of the disorientation that you and I are describing. So this is from a reviewer on IMDb, so I don't know how how accurate this is, but it kind of feels right. Um, so the second half of the movie, a whole different set of actors is used to portray the characters oh i don't know if that's true at all i mean that's wait that that doesn't make any sense because i mean uh, not for everybody but i think like i i do feel like there were a couple people who like oh wait no who's this person no i think they're uh wait i think i know what that person means um no it's not that it's a second group of actors playing it's a different cult in the second half there's a couple of people mm. from the original cult, and then they have a new cult. They start a new se- cult. And okay. that's, that's why it's, there's all these people you don't recognize in the second half of the movie, is because the new 
characters, which is also, I don't think, a really smart storytelling decision to swap out your support, your secondary characters halfway through the story. Yeah. Especially when, okay, remember all those cold people? Yeah. Well, they, these are just like them, but they're different. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. So, funny enough, um, there's somebody who is uh, backing up what you said, actually. There's another reviewer who responded to this reviewer. This actually might get really fun. Uh, <laughs> who says, not true. Whatever can be said about this wretched film, it is utterly untrue that halfway through the movie, a different set of actors took over <laughs> the same like, and he just, like, wrote an entire paragraph arguing with this, with this guy about it, which is Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's actually a different, it's a quote-unquote different, it's the same cult, but it's a group of different followers in the second half. Yeah. That's yeah. what, that's what I thought was going on. Um, and, I th- and I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and one, uh, another thing that, that really jumped out at me, um, right away, even before the movie even really started uh, in the credits, was um, did you notice the movie had multiple directors? Oh. Um... So the um, there is one person credited as director, that is William uh, Perolino, yes. uh or Perolini. Um, however, uh, there were two fellow uh two folks um thomas duran and brendan faulkner who were credited as directors of the horror action and suspense sequences yes actually i'm happy you brought this up i didn't notice that i have no idea what that means with the make of that yeah so on imdb they're just saying that they were second unit directors yes but you know i i don't know enough about film to to speak on that any further to be honest um but I will say that might account for some of the normally secondary direct, like second unit directors. Now, normally what it's traditionally used for is when you have a certain amount of like days that you have to get like your film shot done in. And mm-hmm. that way you can have two groups of people filming at once. And so then the, you know, the second director, um, second unit director acts as the director for when the actual credited director cannot be physically on set. And they're normally following um, directions um, from the main, from like, the head director. Okay. So like it's, it's something on a practical level, you know, makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, but you yeah. rarely see second unit directors for, for a movie of like this budgetary level and to have it be something as specifically accredited for like horror action scenes which yeah. it's like, what do you mean by that? Because that could conceivably be like almost everything in this movie. So, right, uh, like, like I don't know what that means. And all these people, their only credit is Igor and the Lunatics. So mm-hmm. I'm also not sure if they're pseudonyms for, you know, the main director. Like, yeah. which is possible. I. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were brought in by uh, by by trauma to kind of. It's possible. You know, uh, I mean, you look. I'm speculating here, but like, I, I you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they got like brought in to kind of add, you know, make this horror movie more and, of a horror movie. And if they did like some reshoots on some uh, 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 scenes, it's like it's possible that whole like uh, buzzsaw death scene could have been added in at after the whole movie was completed to be like, come on, we need like a gore 
moment. Yeah. Because yeah. that movie does have all the harm, harm, that moment has all the hallmarks of trauma because we get, you know, the, the, the breasts out of nowhere and then we, you know, immediately goes into a uh, scene of, you know, a moment of gory violence. Yeah, yeah. Even the uh, the performances in that scene are very, like, campy. Like, you know, just like... Sarah. And, <laughs> and how I'm saying that, like, I'm, I was very suspicious of that narration ending, ending up in the movie in post-production. It, it could be, like, maybe some of the death sequences were also products of post-production. It'd be like, we need something else to this movie. Yeah. And that's interesting to know that Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hurst were actually uh, uh, involved in... Uh, the production of this movie considering how little trauma actually promotes this yeah this is not like a movie i guess this trailer was always on the dvds back in the day but you know so was a lot of movies Mm -hmm. but like you Mm -hmm. never see trauma uh pushing this one even half as hard as something like blood-sucking freaks which they claim uh they claim they wouldn't release it now if they yeah had the option but you know, that's also them pushing the movie. It is. They're yeah. like, we, we hate this movie because it's so... Because it's so all it's gross so and vile. So, yeah, it's vile. And they and... use every opportunity to say about, oh, we can't stand this movie. It's too much. It goes too far. And, and yet, 35 years later, they're still... I bought the Blu-ray directly from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, make make of that what you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then like this gets like no, this gets like no mention. Well, because you know, um, and I guess yeah, because it is it is really messy. Like whereas blood sucking freaks is, I don't know, like as fucked up as that movie is, like it has. It's pretty easy to follow. It's a, actually a very easy movie to follow, and all the characters are very distinct from each other, and it's really easy to tell who is who because they all dress differently, they all act differently, they have their own very easy-to-identified agendas and goals, um, mm-hmm. whereas, like, this, I mean, for one, like, because it's a hippie cult movie, most of the char- characters are all dressed like hippies. Yeah. And yeah. so it's a little bit difficult to tell who is who. Yeah. Like, like, do you think if I just pulled up, like, like say, screenshots of five of the different cult members, do you think you'd be able to point out Igor to me? I could probably point out Igor, and I could probably point out Paul. I think I could point out Paul, but I don't know if I could correctly... Yeah, I can I can point out Igor because he's on some of the uh, the promotional material. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, like he's on a. So Zach sent me this. Um, uh, oh yeah, the original uh, VHS cover uh, is oddly enough. Um, God, I w- uh, this is like one of the rare occasions where I wish this was a video uh, podcast, but um, uh, I. I, I don't wish this was a video podcast, but in this instance, I uh, I'm like I'm looking at this this cover, and it's actually pretty cool. But it's Igor uh, in a chef 
uh, oh, as a chef, and he's carving up. Uh, on the on the cutting board is actually a town, a small Whoa. town. Whoa! I I don't think I've come across this image at all while I was looking that up. That's interesting. It's in our uh, Twitter DMs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found a couple different uh, covers for it, but I haven't seen that one specifically. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I mean that's why I, I can spot um, I can spot Igor. Okay, um, you you have a cheat though. You have a cheat which I don't have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, and and, and just on the whole, uh, it's also like I got excited when I was like first watching it, and I realized like really quickly like oh, this is going to be like the Manson murders. And also part of the problem is there's actually a bunch of movies about the Manson murders, both like. There are. Both movies trying to be um, accurate retellings of it, and movies just going straight up fictional. And there's more already been, yeah, yeah, more sensational. Great term, great term there for yeah. it. And this just like kind of falls flat because I've seen most of those other Manson movies, and there's just like this just didn't really bring anything new to the table to me. And it's like, it's not a budgetary limitation. Like, as we've already talked about in other movies on this show, like, if if you're creative enough, uh, even if you have a really low budget, like, you can produce some quality art and entertainment if you're clever yeah. and if you really think hard about what you're doing. And I don't feel like, I don't feel like people involved in making this movie did. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I get mad when people are like, will use low budget or like direct to video as like a as like pejoratives like you know like they're like oh like this movie's bad you know low budget you know but when i see a movie like this i understand <laughs> yeah like i think this is, is like, i i alluded to it earlier when people are complaining about that stuff they're thinking about a movie like this this is what they're yeah. thinking in their head and, like, I want to counter it with, like, watch something like Dave Made a Maze or Cannibal the Musical Frank and or, Hooker. huh? Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker. Like, you can do super clever stuff on a low budget only because you'd never be able to, they never let you do it on a big budget. Yeah. Or that the low budget artistic restraints for some, for some artists flourish in it. And if they had access to everything in the world, would actually create worse art and it's mm -hmm. in those restraints and the restrictions in working within them they can create something truly unique which is why i love low budget independent filmmaking because you can find some really wild crazy shit that those people had a budget of 50 million dollars people, people who just go for it yeah and the, if they had 50 million dollars the person that gave them the 50 million dollars wouldn't let them make what they wanted to make yeah um and then, like, this kind of felt to me like they wanted to imitate some of the mainstream, more popular movies, but not really bringing anything new to the table. So, and, yeah. Um, I don't, this isn't my idea this is again uh something you know i got from talking to zach earlier um he's like the uh 
on unheard third co-host uh, this episode, I guess. I, I um, guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he said that, you know, um, he thinks the reason why Trauma might have had, you know, um, a hand in, in you know, uh, you know, wanting to make this movie and, and distribute it uh, was that, uh, you know, this this is not their... F- this was not their first Manson family esque type movie. Did you know that? Um, I mean, are we counting Mother's Day? No, no, no. Um, there's they did something called Love Thrill Murders. Love Thrill Murders. Oh, yeah. oh, geez. Um, uh, Love mm. Thrill Murders, nineteen seventy one. Yeah, and apparently that predates this movie. Lloyd oh, Kaufman yeah, it definitely predates is, this movie. But. Lloyd Kaufman plays a character in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've got to watch this at some point. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, um, so, okay, so this is actually their second go at, um, at a Manson family movie. And you know what's really interesting? Um, I've been actually meaning to bring it up. You know what we've been forgetting to do on this show? What? Read the uh, the, read the um, sections from all you need to know about filmmaking. I learned from the Toxic Avenger. Well, the last couple episodes. Well, yeah, we forgot to do it last episode, but yeah, and I think I think we've there's been two episodes now that we've forgotten to do it. But I was like, you know what? We're not going to forget for this episode. There's no entry for Igor and the Lunatics in the book. Oh. (laughs) I paged through the movie section, being like, is under a different title. Or something? No, it's it's not it's not in here. Like they're like almost pretending it doesn't exist in Emily Kaufman's book. Weird. Um, yeah, is, isn't that isn't they, uh, that odd? Yeah. Uh, last little tidbit that I uh, that I got from our friend over at Talking Trauma was uh, yeah. they promoted it with a um, a uh, a a chef, uh, an Igor and the Lunatics chef hat. He actually has one um, and sent us a photo of that as well. Oh, that's um, awesome. But what does the chef hat have to do with this movie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, Was Igor the cult cook? Because if he was, I, I missed that. I missed that as well. Um, but, you know, uh, that would have been an interesting film. Right. If, if we would have like added cannibalism into this movie, now we're talking. Well, even if the even if you leave the cannibalism angle out of it, right? Like, what's what's it like to be like the the on-site cook for a fucking cult? See, oh, you, you you're right, you're right. That see, there's a movie I'd be interested in. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> that sounds entertaining to me. It's like you know what I hadn't thought about before, but you're absolutely right. I do want to know what the cook's life is in the cult. Yeah, like, oh man, like what a what a, what what is the what do the cult members eat? Like, what are the like you know? Do they have to all eat the same thing? Or yeah, because I mean, the cult's gonna have like some crazy dietary rules and like yeah. all the sorts of shit. Because you know, when you're running the cult, you've got to break everyone down. And one of the more fundamental ways you can break people down is by controlling what they actively put in their their. Uh, body to keep themselves alive and functional and mm-hmm. if you start fucking with that you can start fucking with their heads yep and oh the uh this is kind of like random but just talking about like the cult there did you at all find it a little silly that the the guy that's 
the quote-unquote narrator for the movie who was in the first version of the cult about how disgusted he was with the cult and how fed up he was with everything and i was like dude why you're in a fucking cult like why and he yeah. kept being like i'm doing it for this chick and like your chick's involved in gangbangs every night she yeah. is unsavable dude like get the fuck out of there and they show him just sitting in the corner looking all smug with himself looking down on everyone doing drugs and in orgies and i'm like no sorry dude in this moment you're the uncool one like it's like the uh yeah it was almost like a uh an after school special on a hippie cults in those Scenes. It had a little bit of that vibe in a couple of scenes. Now, if the whole movie had that vibe, it would have made it way more entertaining. But it was yeah. just in a couple scenes. Um, really, it was just in a couple scenes at the beginning of the movie when we're getting the framework and setup to this cult. And then you just have this guy in the corner being like, look at these fucking hippies. I'm like, you're in the cult! <laughs> what is wrong? You're in the cult. You realize yeah. you're no better than any of these people, except they're getting laid and you are not. Yes, yes. You're just going to stand there sexually you're frustrated. You're just going to pout in the corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the <sighs> meta level, I thought that was funny. Um, Definitely. I, I had to create my own amusements for this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I liked, I liked Ooh, how Igor laughed. That was laughed. a rough review line I said there. I'm sorry, what was that? I like how Igor laughed. That was kind of fun. Oh, that was obnoxious. <laughs> I noticed a lot of people pointed out in some of the reviews I looked up uh, the laughing in this and that Igor sounding obnoxious throughout the whole movie. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we already kind of like... Uh, so anything else you want to talk about the actual movie itself? Or... Not really. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, because I, I, I'm really exhausting it. Um, I, I, the only thing that, like, then like the behind the scenes stuff. Like I said, like there is nothing out there about this movie. Um, yeah. There, uh, I even tried because for every other movie we've talked about on the show. I've been able to find reviews from when the movie was first released. This is the first movie I couldn't find any reviews from when it was released. Yeah, yeah it's just, I, I I have no idea what kind of release this got, but like I couldn't find any archived New York Times reviews, which I've been able to find New York Times reviews on every other trauma movie we've talked about from the 80s and into the 90s. Shit, man, even for, like, fucking squeeze play. Yeah. Um, I, I, like, I didn't read it on the air, but, I mean, like, I found a New York Times interview for uh, Death by Temptation. Or at least I don't think I read it, did I? No, you did not. Okay, that was just one of the sources I had that we never got to. I found a New York Times review for Death by Temptation. Um, cool. Like, I, I found, like, New York Times reviews, like, everything trauma-related, which is actually kind of cool. But, um... Uh, I couldn't find an I'm sorry, review for Igor and the Lunatics. Pretty much everyone that was a main player in this movie never did anything else. Wow. Like, like the the writers, the directors, this this is like it. Like, and someone would be like, oh, W.J. Paralini, Paralini, fuck, um, Paralini, Paralini, um, he did. Do a uh, some uh, some video in two thousand. It's just credited as video 
I don't know what the fuck that means, called Finding Candy in 2003. And then the documentary in 2011 called Women of the Military, um, which uh, I think is literally about women in the uh, military. Um, So uh, this guy did not stay involved in exploitation cinema. Um, uh, the, like some of the things I did find of vague interest, the cinematographer for this movie went on to be a gaffer in Hollywood who still has a successful career to this day. Um, really? the two most notable films that he did, you know, crew work on was, um, recent Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die. Cool. And this is the crazy one, the documentary, The Fog of War. Oh, wow. Um, which, here, I'm pointing it up to make sure I have the uh, right documentary, the, the correct documentary. Um, but, uh, 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 sorry, everyone, bear uh, uh, bear with me. Um, yeah, Fog of War, it's about, I, I, I'm a American political history nerd, and it's about the Secretary of, it's a documentary about uh, the Secretary of Defense, Robert Mc. Narman, who was uh, Secretary of Defense under JFK and Lyndon Johnson. And so it's about his time as Secretary of Defense. If you're in the United States politics and U.S. history like I am, really cool documentary. It's kind of really funny that the guy that was a gaffer on that was the cinematographer for uh, Igor and the Lunatics. (laughs) I found that amusing. The guy credited for doing special effects had a brief career in the mid-90s working on animation. In particular, he worked on 13 episodes of the the kids' TV show, Doug. Oh, no shit. No shit! He was an assistant layout ar- artist for 13 episodes of Doug, and he was a layout artist on the short-lived um, MTV animated series, The Head. Do you remember this? About I do. I do. Had from, the giant uh, li- head. Liquid television, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. When MTV briefly tried to do an adults animation block in the mid '90s, and their other shows were um, The Max, uh, hey, Eon Flux, and I want to say that there was a The Head is one. Oh, I want to say there was a fourth one. Or there maybe was a fourth, it. but I don't remember what it was called. Yeah. I, I, I'm like almost positive there was a fourth, but um. But. Uh, uh, but the special effects director, he only worked in animation for two years, though. So huh. that obviously didn't work out, which is a shame. It's funny, though, that the guy who did special effects for this movie worked on the children's TV show, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, have, I have a couple others here to just uh, uh, go through. Um, uh, the guy who played Paul in this movie actually has a uh, film career that still goes to this day. Um, mostly working in shorts and independent films, but he is still acting to this day. Uh, I thought some of the, uh, more, um, interesting, uh, from his, from his credits, the ones I found the most interesting was, (laughs) uh, there was apparently a TV series called Street Fighter, the later years, and he played Vega in it. Hmm. The, and this is interesting when you're saying about the, uh, Troma directly, uh, like Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz had a uh, uh, 
a hand in this, that the uh, head editor of this movie also was an assistant editor, I'm sorry, um, one of the editors, not the head editor, one of the editors for this movie also was an editor on the first turn on in Mother's Day, and uh, he also, um, uh, he also um, worked on as an editor, he, he, was, he was the head editor of Stuck on You, Toxic Avenger, Class in Newcomb High, so he was very much in the 80s trauma group. Um, let's see here. What else do I got here? What else do I got here? Uh, oh, also, any- the guy, also, uh, there was one of the actors that had, uh, another one of the actors had quite a illustrious career in exploitation stuff, um, including appearing in Street Trash, which comes mm-hmm. up a couple times here. And then, like, the final little thing to, uh, uh, Oh, wait. Oh, also this other actor. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's why I have him uh, pulled up. Fuck. I actually lost it now in my notes. But I did. Oh, no, no, it's this guy. It is Paul Elasio Jr. And he is now part of my grand thesis that I have not figured out yet, tying together <laughs> trauma and Law and & Order SVU. We've already been through... Uh, Multiple times, SVU has come up on the show, including the creator of SVU being one of the co-writers of um, uh, Mother's Mother's Day, Day. and his assistant wrote another, or worked on another trauma movie, which... Luther the Geek, I believe. Luther the Geek, and we keep finding connections to Law & Order SVU, and uh, Paul Elasio... I actually am pretty sure I'm pronouncing this guy's name correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played a homeless man in an episode of Law & Order SVU. I was like, ha-ha, I tied Igor the Lunatics to Law & Order <laughs> SVU. Every movie we cover on the show going forward, I'm looking for an SVU connection. Could you find um, Could you find anything on, on the writer, Jocelyn Beard? Uh, no. Yeah, me neither. No. Yeah, she she wrote this, produced this, and then she gets thanked in a movie from 2014 called uh, Maria Issa Sabotage, which yeah. I, I don't know. And then the very final thing I have for the cast and crew is uh, the people who did production on this, like you know, put money other than Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hurst, and a lot of actors and a lot of crew people, their only other kind of genre credit in some cases, only other credit was Spookies. Do you remember? I remember Spookies, um, specifically the farting zombies. Yes. Uh, that movie had a lot of the same cast and crew as Igor and the Lunatics. And had At least around the same time, too, right? It, it was like one or two years later. Yeah. So for a lot of people on their IMDb credits, after Igor and the Lunatics, either the immediate next credit or... The one after that. I was wondering about that because when I um when I when I brought this up on IMDb, like I saw like Spookies was listed in the the more like this. Um, and that's because a lot of the people who worked on this worked on Spookies, and then there's a lot of people who after those two movies decided, you know what, film isn't oh, for me. Yeah, the the two the two people who directed the uh, quote horror action and suspense uh, scenes. Um, were uh, were co-directors on on uh, ah. certain moments of Spookies, 
or second unit on, on Spooky. Oh, that's interesting that they were like a second unit again there. Yeah, huh. yeah. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of producer overlap. There's a lot of crew overlap. There's a lot of actor overlap. So I think um, whoever put forward this money probably put out an open call to everyone that worked on this movie that was like, hey, we're trying another horror movie. Do you want to be in it? And that other one was, was Spookies. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so the like the very final piece of interesting things that I could find directly related to this movie is that let's talk now about the soundtrack because yeah, the soundtrack it's well does – it does legitimately have a cult following, which is bizarre. Um, I can find out more about this soundtrack than I can about the production. I, of I was going to say the, crazy. The, the Google search of Igor and the Lunatics, like half the results were were, uh, were for the soundtrack. They have the entire soundtrack on Spotify. Yep. And, if you search uh, for Igor and the Lunatics, you can't find one bad horror movie podcast talking about, it, but you can find the entire remastered soundtrack. Uh, yeah, and credit where credit is due. Um, that is, uh, the soundtrack was composed by Sonia Rutstein. Yep. Um, who? Uh, let's see. What else? What else do we know about her? Um, that again, this is the she. She did uh, Igor and the Lunatics, and she composed the soundtrack for a short film called Titles Are Too Mainstream, which was released in 2012. Have you seen? So in um. And when was this? They did a really cool... Um, holy shit, this was 2020. Um, oh. In 2020, they did a vinyl... I, well, I was expecting it to be like, 2000, um, like 2010 or something like that. No, 2020, there was a vinyl repress on 180-gram vinyl. With oh, it yeah. is clear vinyl with pink and yellow stripes through it. Have you seen this? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah. it's fucking awesome. It's actually like a legit amazing looking record. And they did a hot pink cassette version of the soundtrack, limited to 100 copies. And for the record, the distributor, Terror Vision, which you can go to the website of terror-vision.com, still has copies of the soundtrack cassette uh, for $9 a pop, limited to 100. They still have copies of it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I remember you saying you did admit, not. It looks really awesome. The, the, yeah. pink, the pink cassette looks really fucking cool. That's fun. But I remember you saying you weren't crazy about the soundtrack. I thought it was pretty good. I um, I, I did not. I I didn't think the soundtrack was good. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was okay. Like I've I've heard better. You know. Um, but uh, it was definitely something that like. I mean, it jumped out at me more than a lot of other aspects of the movie jumped I, out I, at me. I hated, like, I also, though, hated that, like, a lot of the soundtrack is a lot of, like, that really che cheesy 60s guitar strumming folk of, like, I'm out for a walk in the forest yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and meet a yeah. hobbit and smell a flower and look at the sun and, oh, my, there's a bird. And, yeah, like, well, like, to, be, it, to be fair, I don't think that's the part of the soundtrack that people are remembering. I, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But that is a chunk of the movie. It is, but, like, I, I, uh, but I think there's an interesting juxtaposition between that and, like, kind of that 80s, like, stalk and slash kind of music. 
Yeah, but for for eighty stock and slash, this was pretty. Uh, this is not fucking John Carpenter. Like, whoa, I mean, not even is? fucking close. To John, <laughs> like, this is no John Carpenter. This is no. Uh, who's the guy that did the full cheese movies that we raved about on the previous? Fabio episode? Frizzy. Thank you. Like, this is like it's not him. Like, this is. Yeah. I think this is kind of weak sauce. I I feel like this is like. Like, people be like, oh, yeah, the soundtrack's really great. It's unappreciated. It's like, no, you're just that obsessive and in the horror movie soundtracks that you're now digging down to this layer, <laughs> looking for okay soundtracks that you haven't heard yet. It's, uh, it's, it's deep cuts, deep cuts, I guess. Very, um, very deep cuts. Yeah. Uh... You're hitting bone at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so... With all that said, um, you well, know... We, we, before we do, like, the, uh, the final conclusions, there's only one other thing I can really think to talk about in regards yeah. to this movie for us to talk about is kind of, like, hippie exploitation. Because yes. we kind of have been tying all the movies we've been talking about to, uh, like, larger trends and themes in exploitation, independent, underground filmmaking... And this is the first time that we've kind of gotten into the hippie exploitation, which was a legit like exploitation subgenre. Oh, Just yeah. like there was like black exploitation, there was actually also hippie exploitation with the whole oh, idea it... of both appealing to hippie audiences and also kind of like showing the sordid aspects of hippies the, the, to all the, the norms. Seedy, the seedy underground of uh, <laughs> yeah. dirty hippies. <laughs> Satanic witch orgies. I'm not well versed in hippie exploitation outside of like the Charles Manson murder movies. Yeah, yeah or those know. inspired by like you already brought up like um was I Drink Your Blood of being uh, like a yeah. very famous I mean, example of it. How yeah like I mean after I drink your blood like how do you even like where do you go from there? I mean it's I mean, just such a crazy movie. Oh, it is. It is. But, I mean, like, there's other horror movies that vaguely use hi- hippie exploitation that I think some people might be might be cra- think I'm crazy making this argument, but I'm like, hear me out. I think it's kind of lost to history now, but I think parts of Texas Chainsaw Massacre of, like, the first act of the movie is, mm. like, a bit of hippie exploitation. I could see that. I could absolutely you know, see that. They're on the road trip, you know, they're smoking in their van, they're all, vi- this is, you know, this is what, 1974, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out, if I'm getting yep. the year right, and yep. so the movie would have been made in 73 or 72, so we're like fresh, oh, like, you know, like the hippie movement is still fresh, and so oh, yeah. kind of going on, it's on its downswing, but nobody knows it yet, but we only know that looking back on it, the, it was entering its downswing around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But like that first road trip thing and the fact that they're like in the middle of nowhere Texas and there are all these you know hip groovy young kids in the van like that's supposed to be some of the conflict at play there I think a lot of it's lost to a modern audience but when the movie was released people definitely got what was being talked about and probably the most famous example in all of film history of hippie exploitation that's actually a very celebrated movie that mainstream movie that i personally think is phenomenal um is, is easy rider oh yeah easy oh, rider yeah. is a hundred percent big budget hippie exploitation movie 
Did that have a big budget? Actually, I don't think it did have a big budget. Yeah, I was it just had a say, wide, it just had a wide it just had a wide release. Yeah. But actually, yeah. you're correct. I don't think it did have a big budget. It just had distribution from a uh, major studio, which is why like everyone saw that that one. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, I saw that. In and a, also, uh, I saw that in a film studies class. Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal movie. I first saw it. it as, I also first saw it as well when I was in college, and it's a it's it's a great movie. I love Easy Rider. Yeah. If you haven't seen Easy Rider, watch it. It's phenomenal, and don't look up anything about it because the end, especially if you don't know what's going to happen, is Ooh. fucking shocking. And yeah. that is very true and not an exaggeration. The end of that movie is shocking. Yeah. I it I is. really I really liked it. I agree. I agree. But like hip. So do you have any thoughts on hippie exploitation? Um, I love the, the look of it, you know, I mean, I, I think I love that whole like hippie aesthetic. Um, and I think, I don't know. Um, it'd be weird to make a hippie exploitation movie now, unless it was like set back then. Um, cause I don't know about you, but I don't know any hippies. No, I mean, like, well, the only hippies that are left these days is just another word for fish and whatever the hell the Grateful Dead is calling themselves now fans. <laughs> and really all that means is I like to go to expensive uh, music festivals. Is mm-hmm. all, all hippie means in today's climate is I go to expensive music festivals. Yeah. That's, that's all oh, it fucking means. I'm such a hippie. I went to Bonnaroo once. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's fun. Um, I mean, uh, like, I, like, like we've already talked about, like, I Drink Your Blood is, like, one of my favorite movies. Um, I mean, yeah, even though it kind of, like, paints the hippies in a very bad light, I mean. Most hippie exploitation movies paint the hippies in a really bad light. Yeah, yeah, um, but. It's also fantasy, and who cares? <laughs> um, and it's, uh, I don't know. That's just a really fun movie that, like, I uh, i have a really funny memory about that movie where I was, like, I was at the Alamo Draft House, and they were showing, like, clips of, like, of, like, old horror movies, and the one clip was from that film where uh, the chick gets her hand cut off and she just like mm. is screaming about it for like ever. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like dying. And my partner was like, why is that funny? And I was like, why is it not funny? <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. Why is it not funny? Yeah. She had her hair cut off. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. The thing is, I actually understand you totally when you say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hard for me to, like... Like, I haven't seen a whole lot of other, like, I guess, stuff that would qualify as hippie exploitation. I, I 100%, like, understand why you would say Texas Chainsaw is. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say it is, but it definitely contains elements. Elements of it. Right. Of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas I'd say, like, Easy Rider is straight up hippie, hippie exploitation. Uh, it just got a mass release, whereas all the other ones did not. But, I mean, like, in uh, 
in the seventies, there was like a ton of movies in the late late sixties to through seventies, I should say. There was a ton of movies. Mostly, a lot of those hippie exploitation movies uh, fell into like the nudie cutie uh, category of like to relate to a modern audience. It's like one step softer than softcore porn. Right. Um, do people know what softcore porn is anymore? It's uh, probably not, but um, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's just no penetration, right? Yes, yes. You yeah. don't actually physically see like the penetrative sex acts for whatever orifice, and right. uh, it's essentially it's a little bit more graphic than what you would see in an R-rated horror movie. It just the sex scenes go on longer. And, yeah. And, and uh, you know, then since, uh, cuties are even tamer than that, and it's mostly normally an excuses to get women topless and do everyday things a lot of the yes, time. Yes, and that's like I was, I was trying to figure out how to phrase it. It's like quote unquote devoid of sexual context, even though the movie is inherently making it sexual context, but as you said, them doing everyday things <laughs> like they'll be like nude but just like eating chicken or something <laughs> yeah actually yes yeah. that's yes yeah. yes exactly <laughs> and so like uh, like you know people in the 60s and 70s especially you know squares are the you know the quotes <laughs> original series star trek to herbert's um oh man that just shows how much of a nerd i am i pulled that out that's all right um there, there was an epi- there's actually a hippie like exploitation episode of the original series Star Trek where this hippie cult that's been living out in space takes over the Enterprise. And I don't know if I've actually seen that one. Oh, it's great. It's great. If you ever want to see Spock get into an argument with a bunch of hippies, and <laughs> instead of calling people like normies or squares, they call everybody Herberts. Which, awesome. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's a great episode. Uh, <laughs> Just search for Star Trek and hippies, and believe me, you will find it immediately. Cool. Uh, cool. But um, fuck, I, I totally derailed myself right there. Uh, we were just going on about hippie exploitation. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. That's right. Why I bring up like why that even existed is because like in the sixties and seventies, the you know, like the normies, the squares, the Herberts, uh, they were really, you know, um scandalized and also infatuated by you know like this you know, the free love and like you know yeah. women not wearing bras and all this all this stuff and so people were you know uh tantalized by it and so filmmakers both in hollywood and outside of hollywood capitalized off of that and it was like you said like kind of an up- updated like you know, yeah Nudity cuties are normally viewed as from the 50s, but these were still very much in the same yeah. same wheelhouse, and we weren't yet approaching what would later then be called softcore porn. So it's like, in that, it's before the softcore porn era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, um, the, I guess one of the other things to say is, like, uh, movies in which you see the inner workings of a cult, which, you know, this shows um a better one that i'd recommend way more interesting people like seeing a cult function movie i liked midsummer yeah yeah i um <laughs> i i grumble about that movie sometimes but uh 
It's definitely I mean, it got is some really a, cool shit in it. It is just a remake of The Wicker Man, but it's a it's a good remake of The Wicker Man. As long as you acknowledge that it's a remake of The Wicker Man, it's, I will it's, have it's nothing straight, negative to say. <laughs> it is straight up a remake of The Wicker Man. Yeah. I, I do think there's a there's a lot of uh, young 20-something film nerds that got blown away by Midsummer. And, man, I'm going to play old man here. Fuck, I am approaching 40. Listen to me right yeah. now. I'm going to play old man right here. And I think a lot of people's minds who are blown by Midsummer, they had them blown because they hadn't seen Wicker Man yet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They haven't seen Wicker Man. They haven't seen Hostel. Like, you know, I mean, and I think there's... I think it really was kind of like both of those movies mashed together. Like... What, what, with most of it being Wicker Man into the... Most of it being frame. Wicker Man, but, like, it also had that, like, I don't know, like, one of the main things in Hostel was, like, uh, aren't Europeans weird and scary? Like, you know... <laughs> I, I, I did like, though, that, like, for Midsummer taking Wicker Man's premise and then firmly implanting it, the characters in the cult for the whole movie, yeah. and kind of going along with the cult until we get to the final reveal of what the cult is doing. And the final reveal is exactly the same in both movies. It is. And, and, you know, and I, I I will say, um, I, uh, I think that, um, some of the, uh, hatred for Miss Midsummer comes from like misreading it, like as well. Like, I think like people read it as like, Wait, is this supposed to be like a happy ending? Like she got revenge on her mean boyfriend? And I, I'm like, no, no. She she went from one shitty relationship to another. Another shitty relationship. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I don't. That's and that's the thing of that. And once again, get on my old man high horse here. Is people these days? People these days have poor media literacy and have yeah. poor understanding of film, filmatic language, and um. Filmatic. I meant what I said there. Not thematic, but you know, the yeah. language of film have a poor understanding of it, and also wanting to binarily break things down into everything being good or bad, which right. is something that I appreciated about Midsummer. Is like, no, it's only bad. There is no good here. It's only bad. Yeah. Which that's some of my favorite tones to take in horror. Though unfortunately, it sometimes confuses people that have. Yes. Like can only see the world in black or white and don't understand what gray is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. I agree completely. And I also love the scene where they um, the botched suicide. Um, I thought that was. Oh funny. yeah! Oh yeah! That's that's <laughs> great. That seems great. Yeah, yeah. Really like that. Cool. All right, so we somehow managed to talk for like ten minutes about Midsummer. Uh, in a Igor and the Lunatics episode, That's I'm really, right. I'm really at the end of what I can tie this together. I, I've got no other thoughts on this movie or anything else this movie brings up. Uh, do you have anything else? No, no, I got nothing. Lucas, would you recommend this movie? All right, so this is hard for me, man. Like because, like, oh, interesting. Oh, I want to hear this now. Oh, things just got good again. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, I think, 
I think a it's it's an it's an interesting thing to watch if you're trying to if you're trying to understand like <laughs> if you're if you're an aspiring filmmaker and you're trying to understand what not to do. Um, <laughs> Go on, go I on. Also, I also think um, I don't know. Like it's it's hard for me to say. Like I don't recommend something if I'm completely honest, because like I, you know, I don't like the idea. Like we're we're talking about this, and we're like, oh, these people never did anything else, and like, and I'm just like, man, like you and I are both creative people, and like, yeah. you know, like so the idea of like art just kind of. Because this is art, even though we think it's... I mean, it is. You know. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> the idea of it just completely going away, bother, like, it, it does something to my soul. Um, but I all appreciate that. that. You're a lot less um, um, <laughs> contrarian, as I got described on another <laughs> podcast. You're a lot less contrarian than I am. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. your perspective there, but continue. Um, but all that said, like, I, I don't know who I would recommend this movie to. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I, I, I just, like, I mean, somebody out there must like this movie. Oh, somebody out there likes everything. This is somebody's favorite movie because yeah. every movie ever made is somebody's favorite movie. I have not met this person. Yeah. So. And yeah. I, I, I suspect they may not have watched a movie since 1985 or before 1985. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly haven't seen I Drink Your Blood, which uh, yes. everybody should watch I Drink which Your is Blood. A better, which which I, I, I Drink Your Blood is a better version uh, is. Is the better version of this movie. I agree. Like, I agree. They, they don't have like a lot in common plot-wise, but in terms of overall aesthetics, overall Hippies themes, run amok. Yeah. Uh, I Drink Your Blood is the one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're going to watch a horror hippie exploitation movie, it's I Drink Your Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also very famously shown with double screenings of what? I Eat Your Skin? Which I still haven't seen. I have not seen it either. I have not. But there's an amazing poster of I Drink Your Blood, I Eat Your Skin. It's yep. an amazing double feature poster. But most people that are super horror fans, ourselves included, have only seen the I Drink Your Blood half. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, I Eat Your Skin is really boring, is what I hear. Well, it must be because in the the trailer for the double feature, it only shows scenes from I Drink Your Blood. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. All right, wow. They didn't even have faith in for the trailer. Yeah, like, it's just like, it, it says over and over in the trailer, it's like, I drink your blood and I eat your skin. But all the scenes are from I drink your blood. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In terms of my recommendation, this is not going to surprise anybody. It's already brought up. I'm much more contrarian then lucas i heard that podcast jay david i heard what you said about me <laughs> you also said a whole bunch of nice things about me which i really appreciate but you also called me contrarian so i say skip this one now um um it's still better than surf nazis must die i think that's my still my bottom ranking 
Yeah. So far on the show here. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Oh, but did you like it better than Luther the Geek? Because I, I, you know, I, I, liked I did not. Luther hate... I liked Luther the Geek better than this. Okay, because I, I was curious because I didn't, I didn't hate Luther as much as you did, but I, I was, I was curious. Yeah, I, I didn't like that movie either, but I put Luther the Geek above this. Um, yeah. I mean, Luther the Geek at least had a plot that I could really easily follow. Like, yeah. I, knew, I knew what was going on in Luther the Geek. There yeah. were times in this I did not know what was happening. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? Like, I think, like, I don't know. There's a lot of rules around, like, writing stories and, and all that. But I think, like, the one that, like, really probably trumps them all and probably is the only one that is always true is like you don't you don't want to take people out of the the story and 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 when you have something that's just as incoherent as Igor and the Lunatics unfortunately like the viewer is going to get out of the story a lot it just makes a difficult watch that it's tedious in points and it's confusing in points and when it's 85 minutes long or 82 minutes long however long the movie is it's 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 fucking short like you've kind of got no excuse in my opinion that it should be like i love short movies i mean i love long movies too but like there's nothing like like a great like to the fucking point like 85 minute long movie that gets in with a high concept commits to the concept the entire time and you're mm-hmm. just living in this framework of what if this and that's where you are for an hour and a half or Frank less and hour and I a know, half frankenhooker Frank being a fantastic example I, I, I know it only recently became a trauma movie but hey it hey. now counts Fair game. And, like, the fantastic example. Super short movie, but holy shit, doesn't know exactly what it wants to do, and it commits to it, and it is engaging. It's a very simple story. There's only literally a couple plot beats throughout the whole movie, but it doesn't need more than that. Like, it knows what it's doing. It knows what it wants to do. Wonderful. Uh, This feels like, at times, they had, like, all these ideas, and they had, like, all these things they want to do, like, character interaction, but when you can't tell the characters apart mm-hmm. and you don't really quite fully grasp who these people all are because they're all kind of acting identical to each other. Like, yeah. it just gets lost and muddied. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, don't, so, I don't recommend this one. All, all that said, yes. what, what are we looking at next week? What do we want to do? Man, uh, we, we should do... Um, something big next week because uh we know from looking at our listener numbers a lot of you listeners have been alienated by some of our past couple episodes (laughs) we're still going up in listeners but we can tell a few of those episodes you all haven't been totally happy with our picks yeah yeah and i don't know how this one's gonna do so i feel like we need to come back with something strong to um it's probably a probably a fair idea. Or a fair Remind point. people of why 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 to pay attention to this. Why show. we're awesome. Why, why we're we are awesome. awesome. So we should do something strong next week. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what though. Uh, we could go back to 
Like I was thinking, like we could go back to Lake Hoffman. We mm -hmm. uh, could uh, take on uh, Class of Newcomb High sequel. Um, yeah. We could also, because um, uh, we've done a bunch of trauma stuff in a row, we could also, as we've been talking about, of doing another trauma-related uh, movie, however we want to make oh. that definition. So yeah. I'm kind of open to whatever you are thinking. What of those three sounds most appealing to you? Um, I could, uh, I'd be down for, for, for one of the Newcomb High sequels, just because I've, I've actually never, never seen any of the sequels. Well, as we talked before, that when we do sequels and stuff, we want to do it cr chronologically. So we would have to do number two. Yes. That way, as we both go, we can both build up, you know, what we're talking about on the movies that came before. So that has, uh, what is the name of the radioactive squirrel? I, I, oh, I, I think it's Tromi, I want to say it is. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and the actor, the lead actor in Class of Newcomb High 2 uh, just recently died. Oh, rest in peace. Uh, so that might be a, a good one to to uh, do next. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, I will say we are, uh, this is our uh, 26th episode, so we have now been doing this half a year. And, that uh, is amazing. It is, it is amazing, and we are, we are setting all kinds of records, because I can guarantee that nobody has talked this long about Igor and the Lunatics. I can't find even a single podcast about this yeah. movie. Um, we so might be the first podcast we might be the first podcast. Um, and so if you are somebody who had something to do with Igor and the Lunatics, I'm really fucking sorry. <laughs> oh, dear God. I'm so, I apologize <laughs> for everything I said. Um... Uh, but yeah, no, we've set all kinds of records. We set, you know, we've, uh, I'm sure we've talked longer about uh, blood-sucking freaks than anybody has talked about blood-sucking freaks. I don't know freaks. about that, but I'm 100% certain that we've talked longer about the Mother's Day remake than anybody has. That's also probably true, yeah. Um, blood-sucking freaks has its followings, like... It, it does, but, uh, two, you know, our, that episode was two and a half hours. We had to, we had to cut it. <laughs> We had to cut it, you know. We we have, we still actually have we still have material that we can go back to. This is true. This is true. We talked about this about doing an episode that's just all the stuff that we cut out of previous episodes because we, we might have to do a, a, a blood sucking freaks part two at some point. I mean, yeah, just to cover because I I didn't even get into the murders. You didn't uh, even get into the murders. You didn't get into the Eli Roth connection. Um, no, no, no. I wanted to. That'd be like, all right, we're gonna talk about Eli Roth also and, this episode. And I kind of feel like we have to watch the uh, the Joel Reed documentary before we uh, before oh, we. Oh shit! You know. Oh shit! Joel um, Reed Unbound. Are Are you pitching this as the next episode, or is this for the future? This is just for the future. I was just okay. talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, okay, we well, already agreed. Class well, for everyone listening, th there's there's um, a future episode uh, hint of um, uh, Bloodsucking Freaks Part 2, which is just everything we couldn't squeeze into our first two-and-a-half-hour-long discussion <laughs> about it. Yeah. I told you, listen, everyone listening, I told you, I do deep dives into the research on this shit. Uh, yeah, Jeff is great. He uh, yeah, he looks into all the stuff. I kind of provide the uh, the kind of reactions and uh, and kind of 
I don't know. Like the, I, I I'm not going to call myself a critic, but uh, but I do I do bring a little of that, I guess, um, to the uh, to the party. I'm just the obsessive nerd that's got that's got now like all the fucking trivia about about shit. If I'm going to talk about something, I'm going to talk about everything related to it. It's important. It's important shit. I love it. Um, so yeah, uh, next week, class of Newcomb High Part Two. Awesome. Um, you got any plugs before we uh, before we um, run away? Oh shit. Um, I don't know. Let me look up something real quick. Lucas, do you have a plug? While I look something up real quick. Yeah, I do. I've been uh, really digging uh, the stories of this author called uh, her name is Rain Havoc, R A Y N E. Havoc, H-A-V-O-K. Um, yeah, I just read two stories of hers, uh, uh, and she actually releases them um, individually because they're they're short stories, but they're longer short stories. They're like, I don't know, maybe 10,000 words or something. Uh, but uh, Killstream uh, is, is is a really good one. Um, there, was, there were moments in that where I actually uh, I gagged while I was reading it. Oh, holy um, shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really extreme horror kind of stuff. And um, and the other one is uh, Boys Will Be Boys, which uh, has, a, I don't know, there's a twist towards the end there where I, I was like, fuck, I just feel like I got hit by a truck. So um, I, I cannot recommend uh, Rain stuff enough. It's really good shit. Well, um, I... I... My thing I looked up to see if I had to promote yet is not out yet, and I don't want to promote it until it's out. I was a guest on another podcast, oh, okay. that, and uh, but I don't want to promote that until my episode goes up. And I have no idea when my episode's going up. Um, no, no fault of them. I actually never thought to ask them when the episode is going up, so I have to check every week to be like, did it go up yet? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm sure I could ask them. I just have not. Um, so uh, what do what do I have to promote? What what have I been uh, uh, digging uh, lately? What's something that I like that I uh, didn't, want didn't to... a SoundCloud rapper you like put out a book? That... <laughs> oh oh yeah yeah yeah. Let's promote that. Let's promote that. Um, uh, some people listening may know um, I'm highly involved with in what's called Bizarro Fiction, which is like the literary equivalent of what used to be the cult section of the video store. I guess it's the cult section of streaming services, if they even have cult sections. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> they should. They should. But, but um, uh, Lloyd Kaufman has once described us as the trauma of books, which I think is extremely accurate. Um, it's a mishmash of genres, and it's people working in the underground. vast majority of us have no classical training, you know, no formal education in writing, and we just do it because we love it and tell crazy stories. And one of the very big names in Bizarro released a new book called Diary of a SoundCloud Rapper by Young Stepdad. You may be asking yourself, who is Young Stepdad? I'm not going to tell you. I have publicly claimed to be Young Stepdad. Lucas has publicly claimed to be Young Stepdad. And then I blamed my wife that she, and said that she was Young Stepdad. <laughs> Danger Slater has claimed it. Garrett Cook has claimed it. Michael Cassepi has claimed it. Jim McPalsa has claimed it. Um, somebody, I'm sure there's a bunch of other authors, but those are the ones I just remember off the top of my head. But who actually is Young Stepdad? 
He's actually a really, really big name in the Bizarro scene. And he has not had a new Bizarro book for quite a long time. And this is his premiere. It is a great comedy weirdo book about a young stepdad being a SoundCloud rapper. And it is absolutely hysterical. And if you're wondering who the author is or when the author is going to make it public who they are, and believe me, it is a name you know. If you know anything about Bizarro Fiction, you know who this author is. I have no idea when they are going to, if ever, go public. I do know who it is, though, and you want to read their book. I can tell you that. So, um, Diary of a SoundCloud Rapper by Young Stepdad, which, by the way, that was one of the most... uh, fun promotional stunts I've taken part in in years. It reminds me it reminds me of our old school Carnival Barker ways that we used to promote a lot of our shit. And no one in our scene in our friend group has done anything like that in years, which is why there were so many people uh, when they were asking people to take part in this big prank. Um, there's a reason why so many people were so willing to jump at it. That it was such a clever, fun idea and just something that we had like we're having fun and fucking with the whole book industry with how you even present a book how do you market a book when the day it goes for sale you have a dozen different people all claiming to be the one who wrote it <laughs> like that's that's the type of shit i love like, fuck with the format fuck with the medium yeah oh yeah so, yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, um, thank you for reminding me of that, Lucas. You're uh, welcome. Uh, Diary of a SoundCloud Rapper by Young Stepdad. That's why I got to promote. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Check us out on uh, the socials. Um, you can find us. You're smart people. I yeah. know you know how to do a search engine. <laughs> and and if, you. if you listen to last week's episode on Death by Temptation, we actually do give you our handle at the end of that episode. Oh, we're not shit, that's right. We actually did do it that time. Oh, fuck you if you didn't listen last week. You can never yeah. follow us. Yeah. Actually, yeah, please follow need... us. Follow yeah, us, please. Please follow us and, uh, you know. We're doing uh, great in listens. Just nobody wants to follow us on social media, but our listen numbers are great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah. So, yes, thank you for continuing to listen. And, uh yeah, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we need to do more fun things on Twitter or something. I, I, I think we have to, but that's yeah. for an off-recording that's that's, off discussion. Yeah, to all I you listening, so. thank you. We love you. We'll, like, Hopefully you'll be back next week. Yeah. <laughs>